Happy No Labor Day. Woo! Everybody have tomorrow off? I heard some people don't. So it hurts as we celebrate. It hurts because they don't get to celebrate. So it's good to see you uh, here today. If this is your first time at Fathom, welcome. Can we welcome all our first time guests today and just tell them how excited we are that they're here? Really glad you're here. Hope you just find yourself comfortable. Uh, this is a place where you can grow in faith, you can grow in family, and uh, just really uh, either start a journey with Jesus or continue a journey with Jesus. And we're just excited. Uh, we're, we're kind of beginning to gear up for fall, and that's exciting. My wife tells me it's fall because the pumpkin spice latte is here. I thought it was because of leaves like changing and falling. I thought that was like fall, but apparently it's lattes these days, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we're excited about it. Um, that also means here at Fathom that we're starting a brand new series. If you've been with us over the summer, it's been, it's been really cool. And I've had to kind of go back and like think through what God's been teaching us. Uh, even when it came to Sabbath and just the principle of Sabbath that we tried to live out. And I just saw myself so quickly slipping out of some of those things that we were grappling with and, and living. And so continue to embrace those in this past series of names. And just seeking what the identity that God's given us, the purpose that he's put us on this planet for. And so that was deep. And and today we were actually headed in a completely different direction for the month of September. Uh, Completely uh, different direction. Um, Just to kind of give you insight, we actually have like a kind of a full year planning meeting and just like a lot of prayer goes into what we feel like God's leading us to teach on uh, here at Fathom for the year. And we planned this out a long time ago. And so as we kind of came into this, we're also very spirit-led. If God tells us to do something else, we're going to do it. And so we really felt like this was the moment God was telling us to do something else. And so we just had to listen and, and just completely turn direction. We actually had a lot of really cool, exciting things planned for September. And so now it's just kind of very stripped down, as you can uh, tell today, and just beginning a new series called Kingdoms. And really, it's going to be just a conversation on lessons in posture. Because we heard this keep popping up, posture and posture, posture. And God really just started dealing with me about pride and humility uh, and it's something that I've journeyed with for a long time. And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next five weeks. There'll be different kind of preaching styles and kind of obviously a lot of different content. Um, but at the heart of everything is dealing with the pride and, and really the lifestyle of humility that we should be le- leading um, as, as believers and as followers of Jesus. And so I'm excited to kick this journey off with you. Uh, some of you may uh, remember, uh, not because you were alive, but because you studied this at some point. Back in the second century, um, have you heard of something called like the geocentric theory? Anybody know what that is? It's weird. They had a theory, and this guy named Ptolemy was kind of the main one to kind of put his stamp and his theories on it, that the earth is the center of the universe. Maybe this is starting to trigger. And this was kind of thought to be the predominant theory for our existence and where we sit in the cosmos was that we're the center of it all. The geocentric is the earth is centered. Uh, 1,400 years later, probably like 1543 is really when Copernicus and uh, another dude named Galileo, you've probably heard of that name, another guy named by, by the name of Kepler, they all kind of were kind of pushing this theory of heliocentric, um, that the, the cosmos, the universe is in fact sun-centered, not earth center. That's what you grew up. You guys remember it now, and now we're kind of gra- grabbing on the same page. We've seen that the sun, the sun and everything else kind of goes around it. So for 1,400, 1,500 years, it, we thought wrong. 
It's a long time to be wrong. And in fact, the church, after this theory was beginning to become more popularized, the church didn't adapt it for over a century and even further on. And there's still people today that do not adapt to heliocentric theory, which is kind of like predominantly everybody realizes the sun's the universe, like in the center of the universe. There's still some that, that don't grapple or don't transition to that, that truth. And, and so it, it's such a, a truth for us today spiritually to be sun-centered and, and not earth-centered. But, but this is kind of what the history of our world has been. This is kind of our understanding of our society. And it's hard to think otherwise that we're not the center of the universe, even as earth. Uh, and then I look here in America and I, I see some of those kind of same things that we're grappling with. Pride's an interesting word just in and of itself because pride has a positive connotation. It has a negative connotation, right? There's pride like, you know, American pride. That's like a, it's supposed to be a good thing, right? And then there's like, oh, they're just prideful. And that's a negative connotation. So it's an interesting word that has two, uh, kind of a double edge to it. And where uh, American pride used to be a positive connotation, now I, I think it's only really a negative connotation in most senses of the word. And we kind of have this understanding as America that we're the most powerful country. You know, we're excited about that. I just didn't know that the most powerful country, I play a lot of Monopoly. <laughs> whoop, whoop. No, no fans. Monopoly. Uh, just funny story. Uh, me and Taryn, when um, we went on our um, honeymoon, we had this incredible honeymoon. Like, we got to stay in this place that Mariah Carey stayed in. It was like, for our stay, it was supposed to be $27,000 for the 10 days that we stayed there, and we got to stay there for free, score, so, uh, and we were down in the Bahamas on this private island, the Queen of England has the, uh, a thing on, on this island, so I'm not saying all this to brag, but it was pretty awesome, not, not gonna lie, it's pretty awesome, all this for free, and uh, it's just God's favor, God's blessing, and, um, but anyway, when it would rain, we'd come inside, and one time, I said, well, let's play, we were playing Sorry a lot, we, we liked that game, Sorry, and we just had fun going back and forth and trying to knock each other off the board, then we played Monopoly one time, like I said, one time we played Monopoly. That's it. And that was it. And she just thought I was such a Monopoly bully. So I play a lot of Monopoly. And in Monopoly, the most powerful person doesn't have all their properties mortgaged. <laughs> and with America, we're the, we're the most in debt country in America or in the world with $14.2 trillion in debt. And we still believe that we're the most powerful. And, and, and I, look, I, I realize that we are the most blessed people. I mean, we can't ask for any more. Our poorest, the poorest among us are the richest in the world. I get that, okay? But I think it's the, the good pride has turned to negative pride. Not just a, as a people and as a country, but us as individuals. This is something that's got to rest in with us. And so, uh, as we kind of enter into this day of rest, I hope to really give us some things for thought. Um, and, and I feel somewhat qualified to, to discuss this idea of humility and pride, because it's something I've been wrestling with, not just internally, but biblically for a very long time, you know, a decade plus, for probably 15 years, I've been wrestling with this idea of humility, and you say, that seems like, you know, we're probably pretty young to be talking and thinking about those things, but I was, I was wrestling with this idea of pride and humility, because I was a young man who had a lot of self-image issues, and a lot of folks don't deal with self-image, and most of the time when we think of having self-image problems, we think of deflated self-image and, and not bloated self-image. But I was a person who struggled with both. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I, I thought on certain days, I thought it was God's gift to creation, and the other days, I thought I should jump off a bridge, and I was the worst person in, on the planet. I, I kind of dealt with it at all extremes, 
And so it, it, God just kind of led me to this place, and really my point of salvation was being blessed with a gift from a, a girl who I was there to serve and minister to. As a young man, I was on a team. I, I didn't really know Jesus, uh, even though I was leading worship. <laughs> Is that funny to anybody else? I didn't really have a personal relationship. I was doing the church thing. I was doing the religious thing. I was, I was a good religious person, but I did not know Jesus. Leading worship, did not know Jesus. But I met a little girl who was so impoverished, and she gave me a gift. At that point, my heart destroyed. It did. And this tiny little gift, and, and I could never forget it. And, and pride was just, just smashed. It was almost like everything I thought I was, and I was there to do something good, and God demolished it with a small Mexican girl who just loved me and blessed me. And so I, I, I've dealt with this for a long time, and it's, it's an important one for us to all wrestle with. And if you immediately, as we begin to talk about pride or humility, you begin to think about other people who should hear this, l- listen, uh, listen up, listen up. Um, because this may be for you too, and I really believe all, all of us. I, I really believe that at the core of what it means to be a Jesus follower and, and to know salvation in Jesus is a, a demolition of pride and a resurrection of humility in our lives to live and walk in this. And so we're going to dive into it um, full-fledged this morning. And so I want to start us off with the, pri- uh, the, the word that Rick Warren started his Purpose Driven Life book out with, and, and it's the, the phrase is, this is not about you. The world is not centered around the earth. It is not centered around us. It is sun-centered. It's heliocentric. Our spirit, spiritual life is, is heliocentric. And so we're going to dive into this. We're going to be working our way. We're going to start actually with the prophets, and then we're going to go into Genesis, and we're going to make our way to Paul in the New Testament as he talks to the, uh, the church at Philippi. And so we're going to make this kind of transition there. So um, if you've got a Bible, you want to go ahead and pull Philippians 2, but we're going to start actually in Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, as we've been launched for about eight months now, we haven't really dealt a whole lot in the prophets. So I, I want to kind of give us a, a little bit of background because some of us may or may not be familiar with what a prophet is in and of itself. Um, but we're going to deal with a couple of things that really um, make a presentation of the origin of evil. And you're like, origin of evil? I thought we were talking about pride. And Okay, I think we're going to find some really interesting things. Uh, I think every person in the room realizes there is evil in the world. It's very hard to deny that there's evil in the world. Even if you're in the house and you, you consider yourself an atheist or an agnostic, you have to deal with the origin of evil. There is evil in the world. It's here and it got here somehow and you see it. I think almost every person in the world can realize that, uh, man, just with everything going on in the Syrian conflict, 100, almost 120,000 people have died in the Syrian conflict because of Assad. That's astonishing. 120,000 people and I, I've seen these pictures of little children with like rags and with paper towels over their face because they've been gassed. I mean, just startling images we see on a daily basis on the news or in the newspaper. I remember when we took a, another mission trip to Mexico and the, um, the cartels were very intense there. It was a, and we knew, we, we had a trip planned for about 20 people, and by the time like, we had our first meeting with everybody, we were like, hey, here's the situation. Um, like the consulate in uh, American Embassy says, 
don't go unless you absolutely have to. Like it's for something that you cannot avoid. They say don't go. We had to tell them that. So our trip went from like 20 people to like six. And then it ended up at eight. Um, but we, we took this journey. As soon as we passed over um, the, the Mexican border, in the first 10 minutes we're stopped twice by the cartel. And they, and they bribe us to pay them off basically to keep moving. So we spend the night. We get to uh, our place. We spend the night. The next morning we wake up and look at the papers. And all it is on the newspapers is just bodies lined up that the cartels have killed on the side of the road. There's a very sense of, okay, we're living, we just stepped into something nuts. <laughs> we were going down there to build a church. Um, and so anyway, that's neither here nor there. But we see this, I saw it on the newspaper, I saw evil right in front of me. We see it on every kind of form we can, that evil is present in the world. We have to deal with this origin of evil. So we're going to look in Ezekiel chapter 28 that gives us a depiction of where uh, the fall of Lucifer and the origin of evil, and, and this is grappling with some heavy topics, uh, again, to get into pride, but it's going to reveal something about life and evil itself. So let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Clear that background for me. There we go. Son of man, uh, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Something we're going to see in, in both Ezekiel and in, um, and in Isaiah here in just a second is that he, he's referencing a king, an earthly king that is, is operating in evil. But you, if you have to look into the text and you realize that really he's referencing them, like pay attention, this has happened before. There's been a fall of grace because of pride before. So before we get into this, I, I meant to mention and give us a background on prophets. Um, prophets do this. Uh, prophets Prophets warn for what's ahead, they rebuke for what's behind in the past, and they reveal for in the present time. Uh, they warn for things that are going to happen. If we continue in this pattern, this is what happened for God in the past. Hey, look, this is, remember this happened, they, they rebuke about what happened in the past, and then for the current day, they reveal truth from God. Okay, so as we get into this, uh, it's say, he's saying it to the king of Tyre, but really there's something deeper he's revealing and, and speaking from the Lord. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Okay, if it was a, a you know, a human, we, we kind of have the picture of what creation looked like. It's beginning to say, okay, this is, there's something else to this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, crystallite, uh, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, which is a really cool word, um, turquoise, and beryl. Um, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day uh, you were created, they were prepared. Let's continue and finish this whole passage. Uh, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. Remember that, a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mounts of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. <clears throat> this runs off the page a little bit. Um, Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mounts of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the mire, uh, fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. It sounds like humiliation there because his heart was proud. Let's continue. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuary. So I made a fire come out of you. And it consumed you. And I reduced you to the ashes of the ground in the sight of all who were watching. 
all the nations who knew you were uh, knew uh, you are appalled at you. Uh, you have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Okay, so we see something here that there's actually more than meets the eye. That it's not just referenced at some king of Tyre, but there's actually. It's really speaking of the fall of, of Lucifer as this garden cherub. And so this is grappling with some heavy topic, as the prophet is. And he's, he's not only speaking to present evil, but he's giving us something about before even you know, humanity was created here. As the guardian, guardian cherub falls. And what's at the center of all of this stuff? Pride. What's, what's the fall from grace? Where did it start? What's the first sin? If you want to call it that, the first sin? The first sin is pride. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14, and we see another account from another prophet. It's very similar. Verses 12 through 15. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star. Morning star, it's a Hebrew word, Hallel, uh, which means Lucifer. Um, this is also one that is also kind of speaking halfway to a king of Babylon. So the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon, evil kings, historically. You look in history, evil kings, and he's speaking to them as a prophet of the Lord, and he's saying, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn, which morning star actually means like sun or a bit light bearer, bearing the light. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, and I want you to remember this, you said it in your heart, that phrase, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Remember that phrase, I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Again, what's at the core of this? What's at the core of this sin that's described by Isaiah about the fall of Lucifer is pride. I will ascend. I will make myself like the Most High. This kind of prideful heart that's taking place. And and this whole idea of I will make myself, I thought in my heart, you thought in your heart. I wonder how many thoughts have led to something else. You ever have those thoughts? I mean, just think, we probably have a lot of prideful thoughts that can eat us up. So again, in both of these accounts, origin of evil really comes from pride. And you may say, well, that's weird, man. We've got to deal with that. Then, Then who's, then where did the origin, okay, if that's the origin of evil, then what's the origin of pride? Where did that start? Well, we know it's not a godly emotion. It's, we know it's not a godly posture. If he's willing to, to cast Lucifer you know, from heaven, and if he's, he's willing to, um, you know, the next story we're going to look at, we're going to see uh, in Genesis chapter 3, if we'll go there, we'll see another account of how this is not a godly emotion, not a godly posture. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 is what we're going to deal with. <clears throat> Somehow that's way off the thing. We'll just pick up. He said to the woman, um, it was talking about a serpent being crafty in the garden, the, craftier than uh, any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat any, uh, from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Uh, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we see something else taken here, that, that there's really a denial of the given truth that God given, 
God gave them. And so there's a, a parallel that we often look at in the scripture, and there's two trees, right? There's trees that you can eat from, the trees that you can't. And this has always been like the forbid, forbidden fruit, right? We've kind of seen it. And many times when we, we kind of hear like, oh, the church has always just been about keeping you from like the fun things in life. You ever heard that or felt that being a part of church? Anybody? Yeah, like you can be honest. Yeah, I think a lot of us have felt that. And it's this idea of keeping you out of this. But let me ask you this. When you put your dog inside of a fence, is it because you hate your dog? Is it because you don't want your dog to have fun? No, it's because you don't want your dog to get run over by a car. It's because you love your dog. It's because you love your dog. And so he he establishes kind of two trees. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there's a tree of life. It's a tree of life that we can eat from and be fruitful, and that's what God wants us to partake of, and what he understands about the world, and keeping evil away from it is is eating from the tree of life. And so we see this depiction, and what we find is that they kind of rationalize, and, and they kind of make sense of it all. Well, it's beautiful. It's like pleasing to the eye. That makes sense. God would want us to eat, you know, fruit that, or you know, he, he would not keep us from fruit that's beautiful. And we see that, oh, we can gain wisdom from this, but really denying the given truth that God had given them. And so through all this, what we see is them beginning to move themselves to the center. I want you to hear this. The more we move ourselves to the center of the world, the further we get away from truth. Closer we move ourselves to the center, the further we get away from truth. And what we find here is that their quote-unquote truth, their, their reality of truth, has consequences to it. If you follow the story on, it has consequences to it. We are living. Evil is, is, is present because of that in our life right now. We, we are bearing those consequences in life. And we have to live with that on a daily basis. That's the evil we see in the world. And so as we grapple with this, we've got to realize that pride is the undercurrent of millions of millions of decisions every day of, uh, and the consequences that come with them. Pride is, is the undercurrent of these bad decisions and, and the fallout from them. It's pride. And the same thing happening here. And then they found themselves in shame. And so we see it not just in the fall of Lucifer, but in the fall of man um, here that, that God still has a plan for us, though. God still has a plan for us. And that's where we're going to make a transition. So from here, from the creation account to where Jesus um, it, it lives in uh, his eventual death and resurrection, all that period in between there, let's just say a long time, a lo- there's a lot of stories of kingdoms rising and falling because of pride or humility. There's countless stories, and so over the next few weeks, we're going to begin to look into some of those contrasting stories. Today, we're kind of building the theological framework for pride and where it comes from. And and so uh, we're going to move to Philippians chapter 2 here in just a second, so if you guys can get that ready. But ultimately, between that, we look at the life of Jesus. Let's skip over to Jesus. And we see that Jesus establishes a new kingdom. There's something known as a, a messianic story within, um, within Judaism. A messianic story is that they had, had long expected a Messiah to rescue them, to save them. There's this long history of what they expected. And you know what they wanted? They wanted like the biggest like king, like, re, like a real brawny king who was like beautiful. They really wanted him to be like Elijah or to be like David. They were kind of like this Davidic model of what Jesus would be like. You know, it, you, you've seen the, the statue of David, like the naked one. You guys know what I'm talking about? Dude's like chiseled abs. I, I heard someone talking about uh, a guy with chiseled abs this week. Um, because that's a lot of my conversation. 
I don't know. Uh, but I heard somebody talking about a guy with chiseled abs. They said it looked like a cheese grater. Like, that's intense right there. That's intense stuff. But they have this Davidic model of what Jesus would look like when the Messiah came. And that's why Judaism, uh, many Jews have not kind of come around to accept Jesus as the Messiah because he didn't look like what they thought he would look like. When he established his kingdom, it looked so different. And you may have actually here, you may have grown up in a Christian home, you may have grown up in a quote-unquote Christian nation where we had this kind of idea of what, what Jesus would look like and whether it was blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, you know, petting a sheep like we see the pictures or if it's like, you know, giving dudes piggyback rides on the sand, whatever it is. We've had this image of what Jesus is and if we move beyond our religious mindsets and the things that we've experienced in the past and see the real Jesus, we'll find it shocking all over again. And maybe you've been with Jesus for a very long time, but let me tell you, you need to be shocked again. Because that moment is destruction of pride and resurrection of humility. That moment that I've had, that moment many of you have had, where you experienced God, it's a demolition of pride that I'm not good enough by myself, I don't have the answers by myself, and when we release ourselves to the sovereignty of God, that he's over all. And so we're going to go into Philippians chapter 2 realizing that Jesus established a different kingdom. And we're going to find some really practical stuff, and, I, and I, I'm excited to get into this because it's kind of heavy so far, like Labor Day, man, let me chill out. Watch some football and just relax. You're talking about origin of evil and pride. Uh, so let's, let's get into this stuff and really talk about the practical side of humility and the life of Jesus, okay? Therefore, if you have any encouragement, there's a happy word, encouragement, um, from being united with Christ. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Paul's a pastor. He's planted a lot. He's a church plant. He's planted a lot of churches. He's coming back to the church at Philippi, which is a region. It's a city. And, and he's saying, look, you'd make your pastor real happy if you guys would be just on the same page and be like-minded. You wouldn't be like nagging and fighting about every little thing. If you've learned anything from this relationship with Jesus, like, just be like-minded. Just, let's just get along for one day. Maybe if he's really frustrated, he might be saying. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He's saying that all this kind of comes out of a relationship with Jesus. And, and so if you're a, a person that's kind of grappling with this right now, which I hope we all are, and realizing, okay, I, I don't have any comfort. I don't have any um, compassion. I don't have any love that's coming out of me. I, I, I don't have peace. All these things that he's kind of talk, talking about, they come out of the relationship with Jesus. If you don't have those things, it's, it's really just turning back, and, and Jesus is available. He's ready to have a real relationship. And I'm not talking about religion. I told you, I lived that. I was good at it. Um, but it didn't satisfy. And, and here's where we lock in. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I think psychologists and philosophers, I, I rem, I've heard some of them say, there's no such thing as an unselfish act. Have you heard this before? There's no such thing as an unselfish act. Even you opening the door for someone, what do you get? You get something out of that, right? What do you, what do you get out of that? You're like, oh, I feel better about myself. I'm such a good person. I open the door for them. Like you buy someone's lunch, you feel great about yourself. You feel like you just saved the world. You know, we get something out of it. So I, I get what they're saying, but I, I think that Jesus can reveal and it can be all about his kingdom and all about his glory. And, and we can manifest that. But asking ourselves this question, asking ourselves this question, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for Jesus? 
I think that's a question we need to be asking ourselves every moment, every interaction we have. It challenges us, doesn't it? It challenges us to not do it out of selfish ambition, not to do it because we can get something or because we've got a greater plan. I, I love that, that line in that last song of God, let it just catch me up in your story. We realize that we're just getting caught up in his story. But it says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. This has been one of those new things for me. And it's been life-changing. I've talked about it. In the past two years, God has taught me what it means to really value and respect people. Because as a pastor, and I've been a pastor for a while. I grew up in a pastor's home. And it's, 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 a tough, it's a tough gig a lot of times when it comes to building volunteers and like volunteer support. And that's kind of where you, you run a church. You can't do it all yourself. You build teams and you rely on volunteers. And it's very easy to have this mentality where you f- almost feel like you're, you're using people. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But I don't know if you've ever asked someone. You feel guilty about asking them because you feel like you're using them. So God really taught me what it means to raise the value and respect of other people. And one of the things I've learned is, first of all, it frees me from a lot of unmet expectations. When I just value them for who they are, value for who you are, Belinda, not what you can give me. When I, when I, when I do that, Lauren, I value for who you are, not what you can give When I value at, at who you are as a person, it releases me from unmet expectations and, and so much burden that I have in our relationship, like I'm trying to get something out of it. I value for who you are, not what you can bring to me. And the second thing with that is that as we begin to raise our value of others, first of all, uh, it's very difficult to do that when you have a very low um, value for yourself. And there's a, there's a direct correlation but with how you value others and how you value yourself. Back when I told you, I kind of sat on both sides of, um, you know, the fence when it came to pride and self-esteem. I was either, you know, felt like I was God's gift of creation or I felt like I was the worst person in the world. I think there was a correlation there. There's a correlation between those two. When we find ourselves critical of others or unwilling to forgive others, it's probably because, first of all, we don't value them or nor do we value ourselves. When we're willing to forgive others and value others, we'll have greater value to ourselves. We'll have more confidence in ourselves because there's not a tension. I don't feel threatened by you. I value you. In fact, I value above myself. It brings confidence to me. I'm willing to, to serve. Um, and this is not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. As we do that, not only are we just raising the value of our personal self, but we're also more willing to forgive ourselves when we mess up and move on. That's very that's very valuable to overuse the word. It's very valuable to us when we value others and begin to, to feel value within ourselves because many of us, we way undervalue ourselves. And some of us, we, hate to break it to you, we overvalue ourselves. But Jesus destroys all of that. And he gives you more confidence. And he says, look, it isn't about you. It's about, it's about me. And it's not a prideful thing. It's about him. He's God. God is love. Not looking to your own interests, but each of the interests of others. Let's continue on verse 5. He reminds us here, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Remember he was talking about the likeness and being like-minded as believers. And again, he's he's reminding us, in our relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus. It comes out of a relationship. And so there's a correlation between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. If you're feeling tension in your relationships evaluate your relationship with God. If you're, you're having trouble forgiving someone, evaluate how you value others. And he's bringing us back to this. 
And then he said that the same mindset as Christ Jesus, and there's the, the, the colon, and, and then he's going to tell us exactly what Jesus, his mindset was, what the mindset of Jesus was. You know, I, I used to play football, and I played quarterback. That's always shocking to people. People are always like, you, you were the kicker, right? I'm like, no, sadly, I, I was not. Um, but anyway, no offense to kickers. Kickers are great. They're awesome. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, before the game, my dad always, my dad taught me this stuff, and I would go, and I would, my dad said he did this way back in the day, so I tried it, and, and there was just a, t- there's a very large playbook that I had to remember since we're in football season. Here's your football example. Um, I, I would go and lay down in the showers, and there was nobody taking showers before the game. He took showers after the game, so it was dry, and I was, I lay down in there, and, and he taught me to visualize all the plays, all the things I was going to do, and visualize success. And to kind of get my mind set ready, so I'd put on some music and just lay down in the bathroom or just prop up or, or in, the, in the showers and just kind of have a mindset of what I was going to do when we stepped on the field. Because it's very easy to be overwhelmed. You have to know everybody's position, where everybody's moving, and you have to be able to tell them that. So it's very frustrating. So I wonder how many of us as Christians kind of set up each day when we, we leave. Maybe we need to put some reminders and just say, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Paul gives us the example of what this looks like. Who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You know, contrast this with with what Lucifer said. And he thought in his own mind, I will ascend to the heavens and be like the most high. Contrast this with Jesus who is in himself, he's fully God, fully human, and he doesn't consider it something to be used for his own advantage. And we see that in his life. We saw that in his ministry. Um... Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human, human likeness. He didn't just, he didn't like step into like Ritz-Carlton type life. He was born in like a, like a nothing. He was born into nothing. In like the, the town of nobodies. That's where he was born. That's what he was born into. That, and, and it's for our, our sake that he made himself nothing um, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Let's continue. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. I've always learned there's two ways to be humbled. One is I humble myself or I will humiliate myself. I can humble myself or I can humiliate myself. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but if you choose not to, to humble yourself, at some point you will be humiliated. You think about those people who their mom really should have told them they shouldn't be on American Idol. <laughs> like, like someone, there's got to be a friend that said, you know, man, got to be real. Sounds rough. Sounds really, really rough. <laughs> we can humble ourselves or we can humiliate ourselves. And God's at work to humble us because he knows that's where, because that's the tree of life is when we humble ourselves and we do not put ourselves to the center. There's life in humility. There, there's purpose in humility. We find ourselves at depravity at the, the knowledge of good and evil uh, tree because we find ourselves prideful that we can do this on our own. Prideful life is a very lonely life. Prideful life is a very lonely life. I know because I lived it for a very, very long time. It's a very lonely life even to death on a cross. And, and Jesus, bore, Jesus bore that humiliation for us. This was the most humiliating way he could die, was to be crucified, to be spit on. It, it was literally, it was like the worst of the worst way to die, and that's the way he died for us. 
He didn't like go out in style. He didn't speak a word. He didn't speak up. He was beaten. He did. He bore our humiliation so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could receive the tree of life. We could live in the life. But it's tough. Paul gives us examples over and over again about the spirit and the flesh battling it out, kind of on a daily basis, battling out the spirit and the flesh. And and this idea of denying the flesh, flesh, crucifying the flesh is what Jesus calls us to. And what this looks like on a daily basis is is overwhelming sometimes. Um, Therefore God exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pride is the first sin and pride is the very last sin. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And so if you make a choice to to not humble yourself today, there will be one day you will be humbled. That at the name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's a sign of humility, to bow down. It's the first sin, it's the last sin. And, and Jesus Christ bore that for our sins. He bore that humiliation for us so that we wouldn't have to be humiliated. So that we could experience life to the fullest. So we could experience the tree of life. It's the first sin, it's the last sin. This is it's such a deep spiritual aspect that I can tell just this morning we're, we're wrestling with it because it, it strikes us all at some point because it's not like a one done and finished. It's every single day. I'll tell you in the past three weeks, one of the reasons we're going into this is because God's been dealing with me more and more about it. It's something I've been dealing with for a long time. God, I've been wrestling with the biblical truths of this and I'm still wrestling with them today because it's a daily decision to deny the flesh, to crucify the flesh, and to walk in the spirit. But this is something that's, it's not just a deeply spiritual thing. It, it's, the spiritual is so practical. It's so practical. This works in the marketplace. We, we feel like it doesn't, but it does. Um, there's a direct correlation, and I've done a lot of studying on this recently too, about uh, there's a direct correlation to success and confidence. There's a a direct correlation to how people respect you and confidence. There's a direct correlation between those two. And there's a direct correlation to arrogance and how people trust you. How many arrogant people do you trust? How many humble people do you like being around? How many confident people are you willing to follow? Those are the people you're willing to follow. Those are the people you're willing to trust. This works in the marketplace. Don't think this is like some kind of spiritual mumbo jump. This is... This is real stuff that can change the marketplace. That can, that, because the truth of the matter, and there's countless scriptures that says that God um, humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. He, 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 he humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. That there's a correlation. He did the same thing with Jesus. He's calling us to do the same thing because God wants to exalt us. God wants you to progress in your career. God wants you to be successful. And I'm not Joel Osteen to give you kind of the fancy whatever. We've been talking about evil and rough stuff all day. <laughs> But it's the truth. God wants to exalt, and he exalts the humble. And this works in the marketplace. God's, this is about taking a posture of humility. It's taking a posture of humility. And there's an internal posture, and there's an external po- posture. 
let me give you some ideas of what the internal posture looks like today. So as we go forward, we're not just feeling good, like, oh God, we've got to make this decision. Here's some, here's some praxis. The internal posture of a person that's humble is grateful. You're grateful for what Jesus did for you. You're grateful for the, 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 the country that you get to live in. You're grateful for the many, many blessings. Uh, a humble person is a grateful person. Uh, a humble person is very aware of the people around them. They're very aware in your, in your brain. You're not just thinking about, what do I need to tell them next? What can I tell them that will get a joke or that will make them think better of me? No, a humble person's thinking, what can I do to serve this person? And just l- humble person's a, a listener. That's one of the external postures, it's, is a listener. A, a humble person is a server, someone that's willing to serve, that put themselves aside for someone else. These are the postures that God is willing to exalt. These are the things that are gonna raise us up. And so here's what I wanna encourage you today is to be teachable, to be open, to be aware. Walk in humility. Let God exalt you and raise you up today. Not just where you're at, but for the days to come. There's two kingdoms. There's one choice, and it's all day and it's every day. One's built on pride, and as Jesus put it in the New Testament, it's a house built on sand. The other one's of humility, and it's as solid as the rock. It doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. This isn't just advancing in the kingdom of God. It's advancing here on earth. So I pray that God's kingdom would come down and be present here on earth in your life, in my life, in the life of Fathom Church. We'd live this out. If you're feeling that stretching, maybe, maybe somehow th- through the spirit of God and through the, the text this morning, revealing of truth, you're feeling that tension of I've been living in pride. I just encourage you just to relinquish that to, to Jesus today. In the next few moments, we'll make an invitation for communion and for prayer and, and love to have an opportunity to pray with you. Let's pray together for now. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this, this people, God. Every single one of them, I'm doing my best to value and respect them, God. And God, your love for them is so great. Help us to put ourselves aside. Help us to remove ourselves from the center, God, that we can know the tree of life. God, I pray that you'd come into every single one of our lives, God, whether we're fighting it or we're accepting it, God, you'd just crush the pride in our lives, God, so that we wouldn't be humiliated because we know that you bore that on a cross for us. God, help us to humble ourselves today. We receive your truth for our life, God. We worship you.